make your way back to your seats. We're going to get started. Does that hit too close to home? I got faith to move a mountain and watch that mountain move. It's time for words to fall as you guys make your way back to your seats, I want to welcome you once again to Providence Road. Uh, if you are a guest with us this morning and you are listening to me, uh, welcome. Uh, my name is Blake Hilgenfeld, one of the pastors here. I'm just going to continue to talk to myself for a while, and it's okay. Listen, if you are a guest, we are grateful and thankful that you're here with us. Uh, there are some uh, Connect cards, as it was already mentioned, uh, under the seat in front of you. We'd love for you to fill one of those out for us and, and drop it in, the, uh, in these boxes by the doors. That's our kind of primary way of connecting with you and following up with you, so we want to do that. And uh, if you are a guest, uh, we have been going through a series on the book of, well, I shouldn't say book of, really it's one chapter of the book of John, John chapter 17, which we are actually finishing uh, this morning. And so if you have your Bible... I invite you to turn with me there, John chapter 17. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. There's one under the seat in front of you. The verses will eventually be on the screen as well. Uh, but let me just kind of say this. Uh, we are, we are going to finish John chapter 17 uh, this morning, and then next week we are starting a new series on the book of Philippians. All right, so uh, we're going to be starting that next week, which will take us all the way up to Advent. And then uh, next semester, starting next semester, we're going to finish Genesis. So we haven't, we're not doing away with Genesis. We're coming back to Genesis. We're just taking a little break. And uh, there's some themes and things that we feel like the Lord's leading us to, to look at in the book of Philippians. And so we're going to take the rest of the semester and, and look at that. So, so please plan on joining us next week as we start that new series on uh, the book of Philippians. But this morning, uh, we are going to uh, close the prayer of Jesus, no pun intended, uh, in this last part of the prayer that Jesus prays to the Father. So we're going to close this, this, this series with the closing of this prayer in, uh, in verse 20. So let's, let's read this together, starting in verse 20. Jesus says to his Father, he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be all one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they, also, whom, that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made, them, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Let's pray. Father, as we look at your word this morning and we see this amazing truth that as a result of our belief in your son, that we have become one with you, one with the son through the Holy Spirit. What an amazing thought. What an amazing reality, Father 
that as a result of belief in your son, we have been united to you. We are one with you, which then therefore makes us one with each other. So Father, as we look at this reality this morning, we ask that you would bring us deeper into this reality, that you would give us clarity to see the beautiful picture and the beautiful reality that we have as a result of being united with Christ, that we are one with you, but we are also one with each other. And therefore, as a result of our oneness with you and our oneness with each other, the world will know the truth about you. So Father, we ask that you would lead us and guide us to help us see this reality, that you would help us to see that we now as a result of being in Christ, that we have a new life, that he is now our life, and that drastically and dramatically changes the way that we should live. And so Father, we ask that your spirit lead us and guide us. And Father, I do wanna take the time this morning and pray for Kara Jane and Chris Brister. Uh, Father, that you have sent them out from this church to Auburn, Alabama, and tonight is their first time that they're gonna gather together publicly as as your people, as your body. And so we pray for them. We pray for that gathering tonight, Father, that you would use Union Church in Auburn, Alabama to spread the word about Jesus on the campus of Auburn, in the city of Auburn, the city of Opelika, Father, that you would use them in great and mighty ways to extend your kingdom in that city. Father, we're thankful for them, for their family, for the way in which they served us, for the way in which they blessed us. And Father, help us to continue to be a blessing to them as they start this new church plant. And as we go throughout the day, Father, that your spirit would continue to bring them on our, our minds and our remembrance that we would pray for them and that you would bless their time together tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's imagine just for a moment uh, that Jesus is still with us in the flesh and he is outside these doors in the foyer. Now, if that were true, I assume we would not be in this place, right? We would be out there with Jesus, uh, but just kind of stay with me. Think about this for a moment. Jesus is still with us in the flesh. He's outside these doors and he's praying for you and for me. Wouldn't you love to hear what Jesus is praying for, right? I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't you love to know what he's asking the Father on our behalf for you and for me? Because we all love to be prayed for, don't we? I mean, when, when someone prays over us and we listen to the words that they're praying to our Heavenly Father over us, I mean, we listen intently. It's encouraging. I mean, we hang on every single word that is said, that is, that, is, that is prayed over us. I mean, I don't know how I can make it in this life if I did not have you praying for me and for, for my family. I know the same, the same goes for Jeremy and other leadership of this church. We need your prayers. You need each other's prayers. And we definitely need Jesus to be praying over us. Now, in our passage this morning, we get the privilege of listening into what Jesus actually prays for you and me. We get to listen in intently to what is important to Jesus and what he prays to our heavenly father on our behalf. And what is that? What is it that Jesus prays for us in 2018? I mean, he's praying years ago and he's praying for something for us believers in him today. And what is that he is praying for? He's praying for unity. 
he desires for those who would believe in him after he leaves this world and after his original followers leave this world. He's praying for those who would believe the word about him through the apostles that we would be united together, that we would be one. Look what he says in verse 20. He says, I do not ask for these only, these being his disciples who are listening into this prayer that he's praying. So he says, I do not ask for these disciples, these followers here, here now, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so the world may believe that you have sent me. So Jesus in this prayer is praying for you and me. He's praying for those of us who believe in him through the word that was given to the apostles that spread to all peoples of the earth that we actually now have in the New Testament. So if you are a believer in Jesus this morning, how did you come to believe in him? Well, it was through the word about Jesus given to his disciples, his apostles, his original followers that we now have in the New Testament. Have you ever wondered how we got the New Testament? Have you ever wondered and thought about why 27 books in the New Testament, how they were included, why others weren't included? Well, I'm not gonna tell you this morning. You'll have to come Wednesday night, equip class, Sam Perry is going to explain that to us of how we actually got the New Testament. You like that plug, Sam? You're welcome, man. Yeah. So if you want to know more of how we actually got the New Testament, come on Wednesday night, 6.30 to 7.30, and you'll hear how we actually got the New Testament. But this is what I will say this morning. We have the word about Jesus given to the apostles, given to the disciples that we now have in the New Testament, and we should not take this for granted. We shouldn't take this lightly. Why? Because if we did not have the word about Jesus given to his disciples, we would not know anything about Jesus. And if we didn't know the word about Jesus, then we would not come to believe in him. And if we had not come to believe in him, then we would still be lost and hopeless in this world, wouldn't we? I mean, we would be still held captive by sin and death. We would still be cut off and alienated from God, having no hope in this life, having no hope of the forgiveness of our sins, having no hope of the righteousness that we need to come into the presence of God, no hope for redemption, no hope for change, really no hope for glorification, no hope to be in God's presence forever. We would have none of that because we'd have no truth or no word about Jesus. But we do through the word of the apostles given to us in the, in the New Testament. And so this is absolutely amazing and stunning because what it actually tells us is this, that nothing can stop the word about Jesus from spreading. Nothing. Because here we are in 2018 and we are those who believe in Jesus through the word about Jesus given to the apostles. We believe. 
They believed over 2,000 years ago, and we continue to believe today. So the word about Jesus continued to spread from the early apostles and disciples, and we have it here today in the New Testament, and we believe today. So this is testimony, or we are testimony, that the Father was faithful in answering Jesus' prayer. I mean, over the years, there's been kings and authorities and governments that have tried to stop the word about Jesus from spreading, but it's futile. I mean, the enemy, Satan himself, today is trying to stop the word about Jesus from spreading to all peoples, all nations, all unreached people groups in the world today, but it is impossible. Why? Because the word about Jesus will continue to spread because the Father is faithful in spreading it to all peoples on the face of the earth. That's what Jesus asked for. I mean, we are living testimony. As I said, again, we are living testimony that the Father was faithful in answering this prayer to Jesus because we are the ones who believe today. So he's praying for us. So this is encouraging for us and it gives us strength and confidence and assurance that the Father will continue to draw people to himself through his son, Jesus Christ, through the word about him. Now, how does the word about Jesus continue to spread today? And, and, and how do we know that people will come to believe the truth about Jesus? I mean, how will people in this world today come to believe the word about Jesus is actually true? Well, look again at verse 20. So he prays to his father, Jesus prays, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, so the apostles' word, that they may be uh, one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that, or as a result, or therefore, the world may believe that you have sent me. So Jesus is asking the Father for something truly amazing here. He's asking the Father that we, those who believe in him through the word of the apostles, that we would be unified, that we would be one. Why? Well, so that through our unity, through our oneness, that the world may believe the truth about Jesus. So he desires, Jesus desires, he's praying that the Father would bring together a people that have so many differences, so many things that are uncommon, and that we would be united and brought together by one thing, united by one thing, and that is our faith in Jesus. And through this, through this oneness, through this unified people, the world would believe that the word about Jesus is actually true. Now, how does this work? Well, think about this. What is there in the world today that can take a group of people that have so many differences, so many things that can, can cause division and disunify and bring us together and unite us together? I mean, isn't this what the world is looking for? Isn't this what the world desires something that actually unifies us? But the problem is that most of the things that people look to for actually unity actually produces disunity. Race, nationalities, 
politics, education, gender roles, economics. You see, all of these things have a way or a hope to bring us uh, to this unified or just to, to, to unify a group of people. But often, what do they naturally do? They disunify. I mean, as soon as we identify with one group, right, what does that do? It has a way of causing us to be divided or causing division between other groups. I mean, they naturally put us in this us versus them mentality. If I identify with one group, it may cause me to discriminate against another group. It may cause me to look down on someone else because they're not in my group. It causes gossip. It causes slander. It causes hate. It causes oppression. I mean, we may feel unified in one of these particular areas, but it's broken because nothing in this world can truly unify or bring a a diverse group of people with all different socioeconomic backgrounds, nationalities, race, gender, and unite us together. But this is what Jesus is offering. This is what he's praying for. I mean, look around you. What do you see? Men and women, young and old, different races, different nationalities, different languages, different personalities, liberals, conservatives, different levels of education, all the things that disunify us in this world, united together by one thing, and that is our faith and belief in Jesus. You see, it doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what you look like. Doesn't matter what you smell like. Doesn't matter where you have, where you're from, what nation's passport identifies you. Doesn't matter how big your house is, how small your house is. Doesn't matter how much money you have, much uh, money you don't have. Doesn't matter the, the level of, 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 of education you have or what political party or group you find yourself to be. We, the church, are united together by one thing, and that is the work and person of Jesus Christ, period, end of story. That's what Jesus is praying for. That's what he offers this world, this reality, this picture of people from different backgrounds, different experiences. This is his desire. This is his heart. Is it yours? I mean, do you love this picture? Do you welcome and do you accept other believers in Jesus in spite of what they look like or where they come from? Do you love other believers in Jesus in spite of all the external differences that we may have? Or do you treat other believers in Jesus differently because of our earthly differences? Do you speak words of love and encouragement to other uh, believers in Jesus? Or do you gossip and tear down other believers in Jesus because they may not look like you or smell like you or, or be from where you're, where you're from or, or may have the same political or social beliefs than you do? Guys, why do we do this? I'm assuming we're doing this, right? We struggle with unity, but why do we struggle with unity? Well, There are several reasons why we struggle with unity. 
But I believe at the core foundational level that one of the reasons why we struggle with unity is a failure to see who we truly are now as a result of believing in Jesus. You see, when you come to faith or when you come to believe in the person of Jesus Christ and you receive him as your savior and as your king, something radically happens to us, guys. Something happens inside of us, something spiritual, something eternal, something radically changes our whole identity and we become now united with Christ. We become one with him. And as a result of becoming one with Christ, all of our earthly external differences that divide us, do you know what happens? They should be thrown out the window because together in him, we are made one. Our union with Christ is now our primary identity. It's who you are now. It's who I am. It's who we are. We are one in Christ. We are hidden in him. We are found in him. He is now our life and everything that he is now defines who we ultimately are. And Jesus repeats himself over and over and over again in this passage to help us to see who we really are. Because who we really are and seeing who we really are begins to change how we actually live. He says in verse 21 and 22 and 23, he says about our union with him. Look at it. Verse 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. There it is, union. We we are united to the Father and the Son. So we are found in him, verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them because he is in us, Christ is in us. Christ, The hope of glory, Christ lives and dwells within us that we may be one even as we are one. Verse 23, I in them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you love me. All right, listen up. We're gonna go in the deep end here. You ready to go in the deep end? We're gonna swim into the deep. This is, this, is, this, is, um, this is something that's not easy for us to understand at times. That's why we may not really talk about it as much. But we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna jump off the high dive and we're going to swim in the deep end, all right? Listen, anytime Jesus repeats himself over and over and over again, you better listen up. I and mean, that's why you repeat yourself, right? If you repeat yourself to someone, I repeat myself, Jesus repeats himself. I mean, that's why you repeat it because it's important and you want people to understand. I mean, that's why I tell my, my, my son, don't put your sister in a headlock. I mean, you would think he knows it's important not to put a sister in a headlock, treating her like one of his buddies, but I guess he's still developing short-term memory or something because he forgets. So I got to tell him over and over, don't treat your sister like you're in some MMA octagon, all right? Over and over and over again, I got to repeat myself and Jesus repeating it to us to help us to see and know who we really are that begins to change how we actually live. So what he's saying is, is that as a result of us believing in Jesus, we are made one with him. That's what it means to be a Christian, all right? 
So at its core foundational level, what it means to be a Christian is that as a result of our faith in Jesus, we are actually united with him. He becomes our life. Our life is now found in him. Now, if you read the words of the apostles in the New Testament, there's probably nothing else they use more to define what it means to be a Christian than these two words, being in Christ. Okay? I see those three. Being in Christ, or just in Christ. Nothing else really is used more to identify who we are now because as a result of believing in Jesus, our whole identity is now changed because Christ is now our life. He defines us. Now, let me give you an example. Let me illustrate this. The Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 4 says this. He says, If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things of the earth. For you have died. All right, you hear that? Okay, you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ and God. So Christ, who is your life, all right, so you died. Now Christ is your life. When he appears, you will also appear with him in glory. So Paul is saying, if you believe in Jesus, we who believe in Jesus, we have actually died and Christ is now our life. We are hidden in him. Now, what does this mean? All right. You see this? Probably not. It's a quarter. Okay. It's a coin. Now, I've shared this illustration twice a couple weeks ago with different college gatherings. So if you've been there and you heard this illustration, just enjoy it once again. All right, so this coin, let's say this coin represents your life before coming to Christ. So what does this represent then? It represents your life that is stained by sin. All right? It represents that as a result of your sin, you are cut off and separated from God with no hope of eternal life. You have no hope of the forgiveness of, of sin. You are now defined by your sin. You're defined by your failures and, and your shame and your regrets and you're cut off from any hope of having fellowship with God or any hope of eternal life. This is you. Now it also represents your desires that you once had. Desires that you were born with, sinful desires, your, your natural desires. And what are those desires? Paul says in verse 5, he describes what those natural desires are as a result of being born to this world or as a result of being out of Christ. And what are those? Sexual immorality, impurity, evil desires, covetousness, anger, wrath, slander, gossip, lying to each other. So these are all the desires that you're born with. That you, but, they, but they are desires that were to, should describe who you once wore, were. Now, if you take those desires, what do those desires naturally do? They disunify, don't they? I mean, can we have any unity among us if we are living out in these desires of anger, for example, or wrath, or slander, or gossip? No, there's no way for us to be unified if we are living in that way. Now, 
My hand represents Christ. And if I put you, that all those things I just defined, describe who you once were, and I put it in my hand, and I close my hand, what do you see now? You see Christ. When the Father looks at you, what does he see? Does he see you anymore? No, because you are hidden with Christ. So when the Father sees you, what does he see? He sees Christ. Now, what does this mean? It means now that everything that Jesus is and everything that he has done is now yours. Why? Because you are united with Christ. You're connected to Christ. You are one with him. You see, when I was born into this world, I was born into a family that has the Chick-fil-A here in Norman. So as a result of being united with my parents, connected with my parents, everything they have, which is an endless buffet of chicken nuggets, now mine. I mean, I can stroll in there and just get whatever I want. I can get as many peach shakes as I desire. Why? Because I'm connected to them. So now as a result of us being connected to Jesus, everything that he is, is and everything that he has done, boom, yours. Verse 20, where Jesus says, Father, the love that you have for me, you have for them. We have the same love the Father has for his Son is now ours. Why? Hidden in him. You didn't earn it. You just got it. Because you're connected to Christ. Righteousness that you need to be made right with God, boom, you've got it. It covers you. The perfect righteousness of Christ covers you, which makes you blameless and holy and righteous in the sight of God because you are connected and hidden to Jesus. His death is now your death, washes away all of your sin, forgives you of all of your sin. Why? Because you're connected to Christ. But what's more is, because of your union with Jesus, connected to Jesus, Christ is now your life. He's your life because he lives and dwells within you. So listen very carefully. If Christ is now your life, what should your life now look like? Like our old selves? Full of anger towards each other? Talking bad about each other? Tearing each other down? Thinking that we're better than, 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 than someone else? Being bitter towards each other? No, no. That, that way of living should be put to death. Why? Because it's not who you are anymore. That, this, that describes our old desires. It describes who we once were, but now we are found in Christ. He is now our life. And if he is now our life, shouldn't our lives look more like him? Guys, think about what Christ is like. When you think about Jesus, what do you think about? What do you think about his character, his nature? Compassionate? Kind? Loving? Forgiving? Humble? Meek? Patient? A servant? I mean, think about the compassion that he's shown us. How he has poured grace upon grace out upon us when none of us deserved it. How then can we not display that compassion to one another? I mean, think about the way in which he is so kind to us. I mean, wasn't it, wasn't it his kindness 
that led us back to him, that led us back to him is repentance? How can then we not display his kindness to one another? Think about his patience towards us. Think about his love towards us. Think about the way in which he has forgiven us. That while we were his enemies, what did he do for us? He laid his life down and he served us by giving himself up for us so that we could receive the forgiveness of our sins, so that we could have everlasting life in his presence, in relationship with him. All of that we did not deserve, but he gave it to us. How can we not freely show kindness and love and forgiveness towards each other? Guys, think about this for a moment. What would happen if we were more like Christ? to each other. I mean, what if we had compassion towards each other and kindness towards each other and we forgave each other's faults and differences? What if we lived more like Christ to one another? What would happen? Unity. Oneness. Are you starting to see why unity or our union with Christ is so important to Jesus? It's everything. Because knowing who we are now as a result of believing in Jesus actually fuels and enables us to actually be unified. Because if we are living more like Christ in community together, it will produce harmony. It will produce unity. It will produce this oneness. So here's the question. Do we desire to be more like Christ? Do we desire to be unified? Do we desire for this world to know the truth about who Jesus is through our unity? Then if we have any desire for for unity, if we have any desire to be like Christ, if we have any desire for the world to know the truth about Jesus, then church, we must put on Christ. Because that's who we are now. Paul says in verse 12, he says, wear Christ, put him on. And when we put him on, what do we put on? Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness. He says in verse 12, patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against each other, what do we do? We forgive as he has forgiven us. And he goes on to say that above all of these, we put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. There it is, right? Harmony, unity, peace. We put on Christ. That's who we are. And we live that out, which then produces oneness, unity, harmony, peace. Now listen very carefully. You may be thinking, wow, man, this is really tough. tough. This is challenging to, to live as Christ, to love someone who may not be like me, to forgive someone who has hurt me, to, to have compassion on, on, on someone who's, who I don't feel like maybe deserves compassion. Listen, the good news for us is that Jesus has given us the power to be unified. Why? because he lives and dwells within us. The one who is perfectly 
compassionate and kind and loving and forgiving lives and dwells within us. Therefore, we have the power, we have the ability to be kind and compassionate and love and be patient and forgive that brings unity because he lives and dwells within us. That's what unifies us together and that's what produces unity. And why is unity so important? Why is us being unified so important to God? Because the way in which we live our lives like Christ, which produces unity, shows the world who God is. So the question then becomes, what picture are we painting? What picture are we showing the world? Because again, the way in which we live our lives, becoming more like Christ, shows the world who God is. So this is what I want to leave you with this morning. Is there someone maybe in this room that you need to forgive this morning? Maybe there's someone in your life that's not in this room. Maybe they're in your family. Maybe it's a a friend. I, I, I don't know that there is disunity, that there is division. Maybe it's a spouse or maybe it's a child or I don't know. Is there someone that you need to go to and forgive and reconcile to display who the Father is to you and what he has done to you that you need to display that for the world, that you need to display, display that to that person? Take off your unforgiveness. Take off your hatred. Take off your differences and you put it to death, right? We put it to to death because it's not who we are anymore. And we put on kindness, we put on love, we put on compassion, we put on forgiveness, we put on unity because we are in Christ and that's who we are now. We are to live that out because the way in which we live our lives displays who God is and who is he? What's the, what's the truth about who Jesus is? He's compassionate, he's kind, he's loving, he's full of patience, he's full of forgiveness and he offers this world the hope and forgiveness in him. And your life and my life paints that picture, guys. It paints the picture for the world to see who God is. So we leave with this question, what picture are we going to paint? One of unity. One that displays Christ. Why? Because that's who you are. That's who we are. And that's the prayer that Jesus has for us then. That's the prayer that Jesus is praying over us this morning, continuing to pray that his people, you and me, those who believe in his name, will become one as we are one with him so the world will know who he really is. So as we leave this place, Let's fight for unity, amen? Let's fight for oneness. Let's display who he is so the world will look at us and say, why? Why are you the way that you are? How do you do that which you do? And we can tell the world it's because of Christ. He's alive. He lives and dwells within us. And he's using us to unify us, to display him to this world so that they would believe the truth about him. Amen? Let's pray.
Father, we are grateful and thankful for this truth that you have given to us in your word. The truth about who you are for us now as a result of us believing in you, that we have been united with you, that our whole identity is now found in you, Jesus, that, that you are now our life and everything that you are and everything that you have done is now ours because of our connectedness to you. So Father, we thank you that you love us with the same love that you have for your son, that, that uh, as a result of being connected to you, Jesus, we have fellowship with you. We have the forgiveness of our sins. We have the righteousness that we need. We have been adopted into your family. We have this inheritance waiting for us in you as a result of being connected to you. And the way in which we're connected to you enables us to live that out in our lives with one another. So Father, we ask for your strength, for your power, through your spirit to demonstrate who you are to each other, that that would produce unity, that as a result of producing unity, the world may know who you are, be attracted to who you are, and come to know you as a result of the way in which we live our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.